All right, welcome to our podcast. This is episode number eight. Wow. Now, eight episodes, over 120 listens or something like that. Oh, great. I've lost count of where we are on the episodes, honestly. Well, I just checked our little numbers to see how we're doing, and 98% of our listeners are women. So, awesome. Shout out to all the women listeners. Yes, what's we're up, so glad girls? to have you. <laughs> <laughs> how does that make you feel, Pastor Tim? Really good. I mean, you know, that seems to be the pattern just in general. I, uh, our true. team, predominantly ladies, um, even when I worked at Justin Boots, my manager was a lady. Our boss's boss was a lady. Um, out of our entire team, there were only two dudes. And then three and then four guys, but still predominantly ladies. Our entire next gen team? No, this was back in the... Oh, Justin's team. Justin Boots. Mm. Back when I was done that. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, so great. Hey awesome ladies are awesome and i have a daughter who is awesome she is awesome and a wife who's awesome very awesome so who run the world god <laughs> i'm so glad i didn't jump in yeah yeah see i i saw you about to jump in i figured i'd get ahead of there <laughs> god <laughs> oh man okay so our last conversation we yes really went after the idea of purpose where does it come from what does the bible say about it mm. and i think we really um covered necessary ground but it set us up for this conversation where today you mentioned talking about discovering your gifts and talents mm-hmm. because purpose can't you can't even start to unpack purpose mm. and find your anointing unless you actually know your gifts and talents because that's where it begins. Right. One of the points you made in our last episode was that you have everything you need to accomplish God's purpose in your life. Right. So what are your gifts and talents that God's given you? And then the question I posed to close out the last episode was, is community necessary when it comes to finding gifts and talents and how does that play into purpose being realized? Mm. Yes. So <clears throat> the reason why um, gifts and talents. So here's the deal about purpose. Uh, a lot of people want to find like, what's my purpose in life? You know, that's like the big thing. What's my purpose in life? What am I called to do? I just feel so empty and frustrated and this and that. And one thing we do know, just that's consistent through scripture, is that you never hear the phrase, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Yeah. So, I actually don't believe that phrase. I think God does call the qualified because he's qualified them. So, whatever God calls you to, he's already prepared you for. So, God doesn't work in reverse. He doesn't go, hey, here's the assignment. Uh, Oops, I forgot. All right, here's everything you need for the assignment. No, he goes, here's everything for the assignment. Now, here's the assignment. So when you look at um, Adam and Eve, God places them in the garden. And he says, hey, be fruitful, multiply, replenish your earth, subdue it, and have dominion. And he says, look around you. I've placed you in the middle of the garden. All the trees, all, every fruit, every herb, everything is for you. Mm-hmm. Like you have been provided with the perfect scenario, all the gifts, talents, everything that you need to accomplish what I just told you to do. Now, the reason why I think this is important to understand is because every character in the Bible that has done anything great, God has already prepared him ahead of time with the gifts and talents to accomplish his purpose. So let's look at uh, Joseph. When did Joseph start interpreting dreams? Well, I don't know how old he was, but it was back when he was still living with mom and pop. Right. He was just a kid. Yeah. Right. And that's why they, they, his brothers were so annoyed because this little dude was rolling up on him like, yo, I had this dream. Mm-hmm. These sheaves of wheat mm-hmm. were bowing to me. Yo, I was legit. Man, 
the you know the stars and the moon like and I was the one that they were bowing to so he had the talent to have a dream and know what the dream was about as a kid wait so how early do you think because you have young kids Mm -hmm. so he he who's probably what a preteen maybe teenager I don't know how old he was probably a teenager so how early do you think our gifts and talents present themselves and how fast do you think it takes parents especially spiritually appraised parents to recognize that and call that out in kids. Yo, I think, like I said, I think you're born with them. I, I think you're already, I think you're preloaded with the gifts and talents and the disposition for your purpose. Mm-hmm. Just like, um, you know, a computer has all the hardware in it that it needs to operate. And sometimes it just needs the software to allocate. Man, this is a good analogy. I just came up with this. But you can buy a computer that has all the hardware to do amazing things, but you need the software to communicate what the hardware does to produce the purpose. And I think kids are the same way. I, I, I believe kids, I believe every human is preloaded with gifts and talents. Bam, got it. Then they go through a process of recognizing what those are and living in your purpose, though, is when the anointing of God comes on your gifts and talents and directs them in the right direction. So for Joseph, he knew how to interpret dreams at, as a young kid, right? But it was just, it was in the wrong direction. Like he was interpreting dreams, but he was kind of bringing glory to himself. So he had to go to the wilderness. We talked about this. Mm-hmm. He had to go through the wilderness experience and then when his when he finally matured, he used the exact same gifting and talent that God gave him. He used it for good, which was what to interpret the dream for somebody else is good. Mm-hmm. So, and then we can talk about David. You know, David uh, when he goes to kill Goliath, he kills him with a slingshot uh, or a sling. Hey, how where did he learn that? Obviously, he said back when I was guarding. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father's sheep. Yeah. I killed the bear in a line with this. So he already had the talent and the gift as a kid. But then as he matured and the anointing of God got in his gifts, then it was redirected to win a battle for other people. And you know what's interesting about both those people you just talked about, <clears throat> Joseph and, and David? Mm-hmm. They had other gifts and other talents. Right. David, you talked about his shepherding, his protection, his leadership, right. coming out to help defeat enemies. Joseph, you talked about interpreting dreams, but with Joseph, he was trusted because of his skills for administration, right. organization, and leadership. Right. And then King David was trusted for his relational equity with people, mm-hmm. his, um, I would say, his dedication to, right. like, he. I don't know if he was always a warrior, but he became one. So right. dedication, faithfulness. Yeah. Uh, obviously leadership, he was charismatic, but he was also, he played the harp. Right. And how did he get into King, King's Palace was playing the harp. Exactly. So there's more than one facet. Right. There's more than one, um, I don't know, tools in the toolbox that God's given these guys. But mm-hmm. I think for some people, they get distracted by those because they think that purpose is found in one or the other. Right. And not both and. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and I, and I think that no talent or gift that God's given you should be wasted. So some people feel like they have to sacrifice all this stuff for this, like you said, this one thing, and then they ignore all the other gifts and talents that God has for them. So, a perfect example. I told somebody the other day, yo, uh, you know, that this, what I just said to you, which was, you know, God doesn't waste any gifts and talents that he's given you, so you need to go all in on all the gifts and talents. Then I had to ask myself the question, like, Am I mm-hmm. wasting any gifts? Yeah. Am I wasting any talents? So then I had to go back to the drawing board and go, all right, I can't just tell somebody else that. I have to reevaluate myself and be like, all right, what, what has God given me that I've kind of shelved and yeah. that I'm not using? Well, let me go back and see what it is, and then let me use it, obviously, for his glory. But I think you're preloaded with that. And the first step in moving toward walking in your purpose is recognizing what those gifts and talents are. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you have? And I think a, most of them are natural indications. Like they're, 
they're naturally, you use them naturally. Um, you know, if you're a natural encourager, boom, it's going to come out. If you're a, if you're very good, if you're strategic, bam, you know what I mean? So you have all these natural gifts and talents and you need to recognize those. And then when you do, then all you have to pray about really is not Lord, you know, give me more so I can do more. No, Lord, show me how to use what you've given me for your purpose. Yeah. Show me what you have given. Show me how to use what you've given me to help other people grow. Right. Yeah. I just had a lunch with somebody who's really smart and they're in the medical field. And every time I hang out with them, they're always talking about just concepts that they're wrestling with when it comes to helping themselves grow and what they are naturally good at. Mm. I often wonder where, how does it manifest as a child? Is it, is it curiosity? Is it, um, a want a desire to learn or just really good at holding on to facts or piecing things together? I'm not really sure. Mm. But my question is, do you think people get lost from purpose and, and lost in skill because they don't pass certain mile markers when it comes to fighting through to get to a, a place where those gifts can be effective. For instance, Joseph was in a pit. So mm-hmm. he probably pay, he probably faced depression. He probably doubted his gifts. He probably doubted God. Right. At the same time, we know he came out of it the right way because God still used him, right. humbled him. I know we talked about this as a wilderness. But do you think in the wilderness and that refinement process is twofold in both you discovering trust in God, but also you being able to hold fast on what he already gave you in skills and talent? Oh, for sure. I think that's, I think that's all that the wilderness is about is, is you trusting God and, and in the process of trusting God, he is refining your gifts and talents. And here's the deal. Like, you know, the scripture talks about us being clay in the hands of a potter. We don't, the, the clay doesn't determine how, there to be shaped. The clay doesn't tell the potter, hey, I want to look like this, and I want to be this shape, and I want to be this color, and I want to do this and this. The clay is simply nimble in the hands of the potter. And all the gifts and talents are in the clay. All the ingredients are in the clay. Everything that the clay needs to become a beautiful vessel is already in the clay. The only thing the clay, the only job the clay has is to remain humble or flexible in the hands of the potter so the potter can do whatever he wants to do or she wants to do to the clay, right? Gifts and talents are the same way. Like our gifts and talents are things that God has placed within us that we use for the benefit of other people to bring glory to God. The moment that we become obsessed with trying to refine our own gifts and talents is the moment that we take a hold of the clay instead of God. And God will have none of it. Or he will let you continue to try and be frustrated. That's why people can be extremely good. Like here, I'll use speaking for, in, for instance. People can have a gift of communication, work on it, read all the books, become excellent, draw big crowds. Jitters phenomenal at it. And they're like, I hate my life. <laughs> and... You know, let's say they're a they're a pastor, and they're like, "Man, I'm a great communicator. I'm giving myself to this craft, to this gift. I'm doing all this stuff, um, but I still feel super frustrated." Well, is have you leaned into letting God direct how to use the talent? Because maybe you're not called to be a pastor. Maybe you're called to be an evangelist, or right. Um, you know what I mean, like a a coach or something like that, right? And that makes all the difference. Why do you think people miss that, though? Because it's very hard to let go. No, like, why do you think they miss that it has to, that it could be manifested in different avenues, different jobs? Like, Mm. so I'm getting to community. I think our community plays a huge role in how our gifts and talents, we think they should be Mm -hmm. utilized. Explain. Um... Well, if you don't grow up in a Christian home, mm-hmm. but you have a God-given gift to preach, and it's just a matter of time, like, for you, number one, you have to, like, trust the Lord as your Savior. But then also, too, like, if you grew up in a non-Christian home and you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, feeling a burden to preach, it might 
you might think you're supposed to be a classroom teacher or you might think you're supposed to be, I don't know, mm. in any other realm of communication, but really it's the desire to pastor right. that God's put in you. And so how do you go from one realm where that's foreign, even the idea of how to work in a job like that is foreign, to getting into the place where God wants you to be, to use your gifts and talents in the way that he's called you to use them, mm. especially if your community is like miles away from that. Yeah, that's a good, I mean, that's a good question. I think your community does play a big part in it. You know, what that means is, like, in terms of a community, I think varies. Because sometimes people will, like, encourage you in the wrong thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, you should be doing that. And no, you're not. They're just trying to be really encouraging. And I think you have to find, sometimes it's not the community, sometimes it's just, um, because a loving community, generally speaking, will encourage you. You know what I mean? Like, they don't really want to hurt your feelings and stuff like that. Someone who's honest, like somebody who has spiritual insight, that has spiritual awareness, that sees beyond, that sees you for who you are, but they see beyond you, that's what you really want. Because, again, like your community can can just rally behind you and push you into something that is not the right thing. Mm-hmm. Now, for instance, like I wonder how many pastors, I keep using pastors because it's super easy to use, but I wonder how many pastors have like, you know, they're pastoring and they're they're really not called to be a pastor. They're called to be like, again, motivational speaker or teacher in a classroom, some of that. And their community the congregation is like, yes, he's the most, he's the most phenomenal pastor ever, blah, 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 blah. And then there was some dude that met this pastor and was like, nah, this ain't it. But he didn't have the space, he wasn't given the space to speak truth to this man. So does your community play into it? Yes, but it really depends on what kind of community you have. Because again, I think sometimes your community can emphasize the wrong thing as well. Yeah. In the spirit of encouragement. Yeah. Do you think that because of God's divine sovereignty, though, that he gives us moments to not miss it? It's just our choice. Thank you for adding that sound <laughs> to our podcast. <laughs> uh, okay. Now we're getting into the conversation of Calvinism versus Arminianism or predestination versus free choice or free will. Yeah, let's do it. Well, we don't have the time to get into it, but what, what you're kind of describing is like an irresistible grace type of situation where when it appears, it becomes so, it's like so obvious that you can't resist it. So the question then becomes, does the sovereignty of God determine, like predetermine that you will do whatever he says you're going to do and that you're called to? No, no. I mean, does the sovereignty of God make sure that we don't miss an option? It doesn't mean we will take it. Like the reason I wonder about that is because of how many times prophets in scripture went and literally like, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Even for, for David, they're like, hey, you're missing a son. Like, they're not all here. This isn't the one I'm, I'm supposed to speak to. It was so, like, sent by God had to be his plan, kind of sovereignty. Yet, David didn't have to choose it. But the that moment still happened, right? You talking about with Samuel? Yeah. Sammy rolling up and being like, hey, one of the homies is missing. Yep. Yeah. But Jesse could have refused to bring David. Yeah. But and still, rebelled against God. But still, is is there not some level of God's sovereignty that he's going to accomplish the works in the way he wants to with the people he wants to? Yes. Yes. But, you know, again, there kind of goes this whole like predestination conversation because I think that God gives you, God's like, hey, I want everybody to go here into the promised land. Well, we like garlic and onions. 
or leeks and onions. And uh, the guy's like, okay, well, not going to happen. So you did. So can you resist? Can you, can you stop the work of God from being accomplished? No. Can you delay it in your own life by the choices that you make? I think so. So the Israelites were like 80 days away from the promised land. But they marched around the, you know, the wilderness for 40 years. Yeah. Three months journey, boom, they could have been in. And so I think you can delay it. And I, I do think God gives you opportunity like yellow, you know what I'm saying? Is this really what you should do? And, and a lot of times in the spirit of like self-preservation and pride and arrogance, we will not even consider another option. Especially if we've invested so much time into developing our talents and moving it in a direction that we think is right. So that's why people mm. will be at like a, a, a job that they absolutely hate. They're really good at it, but they absolutely hate being there. Hey, why don't you leave that job? I've just invested too much time into it. So now you're 45. Mm. So you're going to live the next 20, 30, 40 years at this job you hate? Well, okay. I have to I have to point this out because we're talking about purpose. We know purpose exists outside of jobs though. Right. I'm just using a job as a basic like a ba- like sure that sure. could be so so apply that to anything even outside of a vocation mm-hmm. right teaching versus um, preaching um, pastoring versus blah blah, blah. Um, serving in let's like here it's super trivial but serving in uh, I don't know juvenile detention center when God wants you to serve in uh, homeless ministry. You know what I'm saying? Like, both of them are great. But what if your effectiveness, what if you're 10 times as effective in homeless ministry as you are in juvenile detention? But everyone told you, man, we think you would do really good in juvenile detention. And so you go and start ministering there, and you invest like 15 years in learning the ropes there. And God's like, no, I've been wanting you to do homeless ministry, dog. So how do we get there? What's the what's the missing piece? Is it the fact that people won't listen? Is it the fact that, um, I mean, what is it? Um, being nimble, like really, and <clears throat> somebody asked me that the other day. You truly know, and this is a this is again like why we can't just like and it, for most of us we want that answer that you just asked, like why is it so difficult? Like, why can't we just have a one, two, three plan? Boom, there it is. Mm-hmm. Move forward, right? Mm-hmm. God has determined that that's not the way it's going to be. Mm-hmm. It's going to it's going to take your total surrender to the process and to whatever that next is. That's why you have to come to a place in the wilderness where you are 100% surrendered. How do you know you're surrendered? When you're no longer fighting for yourself. When you're no, when you're no longer at the place of fighting for your own satisfaction, or when you, when you just have peace, like inner peace in your soul, when you have that peace, I think that's when you know you've fully surrendered. And when you fully surrendered, God can help you navigate to the right place. Because if I'm sitting on the other side of this podcast and I'm listening to us wrestle through this conversation. But I'm all the while wondering, what if I was born in a different home? What if I was born in a different year? What if I was gone to a different school? What if I learned a different skill? Would would God do something else with me? Um, I think it goes back to the sovereignty of God. Where you were born, the context in which you were born, all of that, God already knew. Therefore, the answer is no. Yeah, because if I'm being completely honest. Because here, because here, I'm sorry to cut you off. But here, here's like the follow up to that. If you say that my life would have been so much different if this didn't happen. 
what you're telling God is, hey, you didn't really know about this. Yeah, or even just wondering what the extent of the sovereignty of God is. I mean, I know you said Calvinism and Arminianism. We don't have time for that, which maybe we should talk about that in our next episode. Mm-hmm. Because that honestly does play into like something as simple as physical health. Do you know how often I hear people say, "Well, this just runs in my family." Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right. That's a that's honestly kind of the same sort of mentality right. of, "Well, this is beyond my control, right. therefore I cannot change it." Right. So it's kind of balancing what's in my control and what can I change, mm-hmm. and if purpose and skills and all that are already innately put within us and. The, and God's in control, how do I balance the my responsibility to go and be faithful versus trust and submit to the process? Mm. Yeah. Well, so, <clears throat> perfect example, my man, uh, Jacob. Jacob was liar and cheater. But how, where did he learn that From his mom. I didn't know, so I was just going to wait. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because, I mean, think yeah. about this. Who Who's like, hey, I'll, I overheard your dad talking to your brother, and here's the deal. What if we just manipulate a couple things, mm-hmm. and then you can get the blessing? Yeah. Right? Where did his mom learn that from? I should know this. I just read this. Her own family. Because remember, Jacob goes to Laban, which is his mom's brother, and he is cheating Jacob. Oh, I never put those together. Right. Okay. And he's super tricky the whole time. Yes, he he tricked him multiple times over a 20-year period. He cheated him out of, the first one was the wife, (laughs) right? He cheated him out of the wife. Then he cheated him. He tried to cheat him out of all of the animals, right? Then he then he tried to come back and say, hey, everything you took was mine, even after he told him, no, you can have all this stuff. So the trickery is a, was a family deal. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it was just, it was generational trickery on both sides. Because think about this. Abraham, oh, Isaac, thing. Jacob. Jacob was a tricker. But then his father, Isaac, almost the same scenario. Right? Okay, let me back it up to, now we get into the word. Let me back it up to Abraham. Abraham, he goes, you know, uh, was Egypt, a couple other spots with his wife. And he lies to them and says, hey, she's not, uh, she's not my wife. Straight up lying, bro. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Trickery. Guess what Isaac does? The same thing to his wife. Yep. Says that he was his sister. And it wasn't. So the joker was lying too. Yep. Now Jacob is doing the same. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Now we're at like three generations. And these jokers are lying and, and trickering ring. Right? Trick ring ring. Generational trickering. <laughs> Generational trickery. <laughs> Generational trick and treating. <laughs> A whole different kind Halloween. of sin. <laughs> this family is full of Halloween. <laughs> so, so what we're saying is like Jacob could have easily said, yo, that's just a family deal. Like, that's, that's just like, that's just what happens in our family. No. God said, listen, bro, I will wrestle you to the ground to break this up off you. And boom, he did. Right? He changed the trajectory of Jacob's life. So, what am I saying? It took three generations for a dude to break his hip. To finally break it. So, most of the times when people like use that excuse, well, it's just a family thing, or that's just, you know, that's just how, that's just how us Johnsons are. <laughs> you know what that means? You don't want your hip broken. You don't want to go through the pain of breaking the excuse off of your family. You know what I'm saying? So your purpose is bigger than your life it's your yes i mean i, I know it is conceptually but it's yes. bigger in, even in your family lineage it could be something that 
you have to break through. It could be something that was broken through for you, but you still have to step into. I mean, mm. this is a this is a big thought to yeah. um, well, cause, cause rush over. It's not your purpose. Right. It's God's it's will. God's, yeah. It's God's purpose, and you play a part in that. So whenever we say, like, what is my purpose in life? Well, the correct way to say it is, you don't really have a purpose. What is my what is my role in God's purpose is the right way to say it. Yeah, that makes sense. What is my role as a member of the, because you're not the body. Right. You're a member of the body. And in so you are the body, but you're, you're just, you just simply play a role in defining the body. And so that's what I think purpose, if we can call it down to that, that changes the game. What are you about to say? Well, I'm still thinking through, if you, if your family struggles to break through something and then it passes to you to break through something, that's all for the sake of your purpose being its full, having its full impact or you having a, a full impact in the story that God's writing. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, arguably Jacob got a whole lot more love in the scripture with attention to his story than anyone else in his family did, but they didn't do the breaking he did. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think at every stage there is a, there's more layers being pe- peeled off, right? Because with Abraham, there were layers peeled off, but there's no doubt that, that like Abraham stepped into his contribution to the purpose, to God's purpose. Same thing for um, Isaac. He stepped into his role in contributing to the purpose, and then so on and so forth. So I think that I think that sometimes there may be some things that, you know, <clears throat> you conquer, you overcome, and then I conquer, and I overcome, and then blah, blah, blah. There are things that my father overcame and has worked through um, that were passed to me. So, for instance, I grew up going to church, being involved in the kingdom of God since the day I opened up my eyes. Right. My dad didn't. Right. He didn't come into the, he didn't come to the Lord until like his 20s. So he accomplished that like the Lord through him brought him to this spot. Now, for me, I'm going to my kids are being raised in church, but there are other things that I'm going to need to overcome. That's for my generation so that my son doesn't have to deal with that. Right? Yeah. That could be a plethora of things. It could be um, personal things. It could be characteristic things. It could be anything. But, you know, recognizing like the, what you have accomplished or what your parents have accomplished, what your family's accomplished, and then you take that to the next. But if you ever get to a place where like, nah, my dad didn't do it, so I ain't going to do it either. That's a bad place to be. I just want to point out that all of your negative commentary voices are very Southern today. <laughs> very Southern. Well, I think usually if I do my, 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 my voice is going to be in a Southern accent. That's hilarious. So I have a trick question then for you as you're talking. A trick question? Yeah. Yikes. So as you were talking through that, it made me remember the description of Judas mm-hmm. and how he was born for doesn't it use the verbiage that he was born to do what he did against Jesus? The son of perdition. There you go. I thought I said something else about him, like being I don't know, born for disobedience or some some words mentioned. Does that mean that he fulfilled his God given purpose to portray the Son of God? I think he no. I think he played a role there again. See. What role do you play in the overall purpose of God? <clears throat> For Judas and the role that he played, I don't think, well, oh man, this, this could go super deep, right? Because was he created damned to do that? Yeah. Or was he created God having the foreknowledge that he would do it and then God said, all right, I'm going to allow you to do it because it plays into the overall purpose that I have designed. That's a really good question. 
and it's very deep. It's one that I've thought of often. Because mm-hmm. even being in ministry, you come across big questions and people wonder why even just bad things happen to good people or whatever. And you have to wrestle with this idea, even the description of his role in in history. Mm-hmm. It was necessary. Like it says somewhere else too that it was necessary that Jesus went through what he went through and that Judas betrayed him. Mm-hmm. It's necessary. Can you right. imagine like wrestling? I mean, obviously he's he's giving an account for that. Right. Wrestling through that. And isn't he so overcome after he, that happens that he ends up committing suicide anyway? Yes. So, and that's I think something to consider too is we always paint Judas in a very negative light. And what he did was not cool, right? Basically what he did is he allowed his thirst for money to cloud his judgment. And he took a payoff for what? Location and um, identification, right? And immediately he was apparently sorry that he did that. We don't really spend a ton of time, though, talking about the fact that Jesus called him, that he was rolling with Jesus for three years. He was obviously the one that held the money, so he was a very trusted person, right? Um, did he have a hiccup? Yeah, but not... I'm saying before betrayal. Did he have a couple of hiccups? Yeah. Man, we should have sold that, you know, and, and gave it to the poor or done something else with it, you know, talking about the alabaster box. Well, shoot, I mean, my man, James and John, they did the same thing. Let's call down fire on these dudes. You know, Peter, like, I will defend you, da, da, da. So they all had hiccups, right? Judas has had one, and my man couldn't get over it, right? And so, yikes. That's pretty harsh. But how many times do we have those slip-ups? I think the difference between... Judas and Peter, because both of them really betrayed Christ, is that Peter repented, right? He made it about like, oh man, you were right, yo, but my love for you is right. And Judas was more sorry he did it, probably because, oh man, I'm guilty, but he didn't truly repent for it. It seems like it. I mean, he was very sorry, but... I wonder what would have happened if he found a place of repentance, like truly in his heart. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, but yeah, but that, that does bode the question like, man, was he created for that? Or did he, did God in his foreknowledge know that Judas was going to make these decisions? And so the Lord allowed him to make those decisions for the overall greater purpose of the cross and ultimately salvation. I mean, it's a, it's a hard thing to get your head around because it is necessary and someone had to do it. Yeah. Yes. So when it comes to our purpose, how do we how do we settle that in our spirit? I mean, does it just simply always boil down to God's got a plan? <clears throat> Um, what do you mean? When we wrestle through thoughts like that, well, we, even for ourselves, and we wonder, I mean, you talked about Jesus' weakness. Oh, oh yeah, weakness. You, yeah, yeah. You know, talked about his weakness, his sin, his propensity, his whatever it was, mm-hmm. but he struggled in the right way for God's will to be accomplished through his struggle. Mm-hmm. That's a very hard thing to get your head around. Right. Because we don't want to live in that. Right. Yeah, most of us, most of us are very uncomfortable with with weak places in, in us, right? And we think that somehow that detracts from the purpose of God when it doesn't. God's fully aware of it. Right. Now, for us, it has to. we have to use humility, right, to say, man, God knows my weaknesses, but he's trying to work it out of me. And so I have to lean more into God for him to work this out of me and not try to do it in your own power, but do it in the power of Christ. And here, And here's the biggest difference. Peter turned back to Jesus. Now, Jesus met him, right, and was like, yo, what's up? I'm fishing. Okay, do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. All right. Then what was the, what was the thing that Jesus instructed him to do? 
Feed my sheep. I was going to say feed my people, but that doesn't sound right. Feed my sheep. There right. it is. <laughs> <laughs> but so that's how you, I think you evaluate your purpose because at the end of the day, your purpose is for other people. Right. It involves other people. It involves strengthening other people's lives. And that's how you know you're in the purpose of God. Now, you may be doing something. You're like, man, I am strengthening other people, but I, I, I feel this is horrible. There's many ways that you can strengthen other people. And sometimes the way you're strengthening other people may not be the way. It may be in a different way. For instance, and, and, and here also, this is also what I think. I think that God can use you multiple ways. So it could be that, yes, you do this for a while and you're strengthening people and you're working out your purpose. And then God's like, all right, cool. Now I need you to use your talent in this way. And you do that when most and that's where i think most people get tripped up is they do something they get really good at it and, and it's like fruitful they see all this and then they start feeling like oh man there's a shift but i'm not going to shift because i've been doing this too long and then they stay stagnant right in that one spot and they don't deviate from it and now they're miserable and god actually had more for them yeah i would say god often has more for us yes and I would say it's the smaller amount of people, rarer group of people who don't miss out on the more. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually watched a TED Talk years ago, and it so impacted me, I'd probably watch it once a year just to keep it fresh on my brain. But this woman talked about how she helps famous people deal with pressures and um, you know society impact and all that. And she said these people are often referred to as being larger than life. Mm -hmm. But what I would argue is they just figured out how much space they were meant to take up in life. Mm. And I thought that was fascinating because if we're made in the image of God and we are given, you know, gifts, talents, purpose, there's probably a lot that he can do with our lives. Mm -hmm. If we lived to the fullness of that, we Mm -hmm. probably would feel to other people like we're larger than life. Right. Like we now place celebrities on that pedestal, but not all celebrities, just some people really seem like they're living larger than life. Mm -hmm. And it's because like she said, they've occupied this space that their life was meant to occupy. Right. That's so cool. Yeah. I think when you actually get in the groove of what you're meant to do, it's, and it could be, it doesn't have to be on a large platform. It could be a small platform, but there's a sense in which like I, I remember this one this one pastor in California his he he was a pastor and so his his church but never got over like like 50 60 people but from his ministry from that church over 50 something churches have been started missionaries like evangelists pastors I knew several of the pastors I preached for several of the pastors that all came from this this guy's church mm. I mean multiple pastors some of them a thousand, some five hundred, you know, different various size congregation, and you and you you go, man, you know, if you were just to judge him by church size, which we know that's not an indicator of success, but if you were to judge him by church size, you'd be like, man, dude, you can't get this past fifty. But if you were to talk to him about producing leaders. His impact is tens of thousands. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There again, I think it's like when you get in your purpose, like God, God grows that exponentially in other people. Right. Okay. I have to ask this question. It's been kind of weighing on my head. So on your head. I know I phrase things so weird sometimes. <laughs> it just it just comes out so much faster Yo. than I filter it, <laughs> the honestly. Only thing, the only thing I can think of is like, you know, when we were in Ethiopia, people would carry like <laughs> yes. these big buckets and kids and yes. stuff on their head. That's, that's how <laughs> that's how sometimes my thoughts can be. They're just like I'm carrying a giant <laughs> basket on my head. I'm like, okay, dump these somewhere. What are you carrying? Thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> What's on your head? Thoughts. <laughs> Listen, it's honestly, it's my life. This is, you know, honest time with, with Bree. Yes. Anyway, so yes, this thought with Judas and his story. Do you think the reason he was even able to walk in such deception is because he had a relationship with bad people? 
or people who are not pursuing God. The reason I ask that is because how did they know to approach him and why was he such an easy person for them to mm-hmm. get to? And how come every other disciple that we know of who was tempted by people outside of those following Jesus, maybe not even in opposition of Jesus, just outside of following Jesus, they maybe denied him, but they didn't follow someone else's authority. Mm. But he did. Do you yeah. think that there was a relationship happening there? And that plays back to the original question of community impacting our purpose. Mm-hmm. Most likely, like, you know, would you go? Yeah, I mean, why why would you approach somebody? And again, it's hearsay, right? Because could they have approached a couple of the other disciples and they were like, man, you better scram, son. Um, maybe, you know what I'm saying? We don't, there's no indication in the Bible that that happened. But um, there were times where the Pharisees did have conversations with the disciples, kind of like a sidebar. You know, you're ma- hey, so your master is doing this and that. So mm-hmm. I, it, most likely, probably for the you know, three years that the disciples were rolling with Jesus, there were multiple attempts to try to peel off Jesus' disciples, mm-hmm. you know, by getting them to question what Jesus was doing or blah, blah, blah. Um, but there had to have been something that Judas exuded that made the, you know, the Pharisees and everybody else go, that's our guy. That's, he's the inroad. Because he opened up a door there um, for the enemy to come in and use him. So familiar spirit. Have you heard that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and he put those vibes out there. And they trusted him enough to be to like legitimately point Jesus out. Jesus knew it because he said, one of y'all is in this room. Well, yeah, I mean... He knows the but, beginning from the but, end. But here's so. the thing. The other disciples didn't know. Yeah. And that's the scary part. Didn't they even question themselves? Yeah. Is it me? That I think that's a lot more scary than him being chummy with these other fools. Because he was camouflaged so good that they were like, you know, when there's somebody creepy around, you kind of go, man, I'm, it's got to be old. Bob over here, you know what I'm saying? It's got to be him. The dude puts off vibes. Can you imagine being so camouflaged that you looking at yourself wondering if you're the traitor? You would you would rather consider yourself than anybody else in the room because everybody else seems like they're good. Yeah. Yo, trippy, right? And I'm sure they rolled a, like a very tight relationship in that crew. Correct. Like yeah. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't a someone you didn't talk to often. I bet there was long in-depth and a crazy amount of time. I mean, you're yes. walking from city to city. I mean, you're, yeah. you're, you're facing opposition and crowds and yeah. pushback and chaos. You're, you're fighting together. There's right. a bond there. Right. Yeah. So, and Ju- so to answer or try to answer your question is, um, Judas was surrounded by the same people that the other disciples were, but there was, there was an opportunity in his life where the enemy had an inroad mm-hmm. and he never solved it. I remember talking to Pastor Jeff one time. We were talking about a certain situation. And I said, Man, I feel like the Lord is dealing, you know, is asking me to do this, blah, blah, blah. And he said, Man, it, but in this, what I told Pastor Jeff, I was like, Man, I don't even know why, though. Like, I don't know why the Lord is asking me to do this. And Pastor Jeff said, well, it could be that there's a soft spot there that the Lord wants to take care of before the enemy starts poking at it and cause you to trip in some kind of way. And I was like, whoa, that's deep. Because the, the devil is aware of those places more so than we are. Yeah. Because, you know, we get we get pushed and prodded in, in usually in areas that a lot of times we weren't even aware of. But the devil was. So Judas obviously didn't take care of this, where this I call it a soft spot or a bruise. He didn't take care of it. And so the enemy could find he found the inroad in there. So does your community is your community important? Absolutely. But your relationship with Jesus 
is way more important. Mm-hmm. So somewhere along the line, Judas felt comfortable enough to roll up Jesus and be like, this ain't right. What's not right? You getting worshipped. Whoa. Telltale signs something was wrong. Whenever you get to a place where you look at leadership in your life and go, they don't deserve that. Boy, that's a that's a bad spot to be in. Because mm-hmm. that's what leads to selling out. That's what it sounds like, Lucifer. Exactly right. Exactly right. Man, God don't deserve this glory. I, I reflect the glory of God. Yikes. God's like, I'm done with you, son. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we have to always make sure that our heart is right toward the people that God has put in our lives as leaders, right? Um, will they sometimes do stuff that we don't understand or some funky stuff? Yes, absolutely. But if it's not, if it's not, you know, ungodly, unethical, and a violation of the Bible and biblical things, and if just, you know, if you're tripping up on some preference, right, do not raise your voice against them. You know what I'm saying? Because God's probably trying to do something in you. A man, Judas. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Judas, this has nothing to do with, what if that whole scenario, what if we looked at it this way? What if God allowed this entire scenario, the alabaster box being broken and Jesus getting worshiped and praised, what if God allowed that whole scenario to happen to deal with Judas and Judas didn't lean into it? Wow. See, that goes back to the sovereignty question that I had. <laughs> what if that so was his sov- opportunity? What if it was? And Jesus was like, nah, bro. And wow. then, then the Lord was like, all right. Then you're the one. I feel like this is a good moment for us to talk about next week. This is... Yeah, going I think to be amazing next week. Oh, good. Yes, it is. Oh, no. I cannot wait being in the studio I don't think our listeners day. are ready for this. Are you ready for me to rap? Tap, tap. <laughs> <laughs> blap, blap. <laughs> this is not even the best event, just in case they're not ready. I think it's because I'm tired. Now I'm starting, and now everything's starting to get funny to me. So for next time, we should yep, talk yep, about yep, yep. Calvinism and Arminianism. Whoa, that's a heavy topic. Yeah, but, but you know, it's it. fun. People need Dope. to know. Okay. Challenge their minds. Come sharp. Come ready. Come caffeinated. I will. I'll be ready. Okay. Episode eight. One and done. See y'all next week. <laughs>